Today's program is brought to you by Route 11 Potato Chips. Made with a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. For more information, visit rt11.com. I'm Linda Palaccio, host of A Taste of the Past. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Inside School Food. I'm Laura Stanley, and today we're back with more shop talk about progressive strategies for success. And as promised, today's topic is food courts at school, um, which is an increasingly popular way to jazz up reimbursable meals for trend savvy teenagers. Um, if you're flirting with the idea um, for any of your sites, you're, you're going to want to give a close listen to today's guests. We have with us two experts on school food courts. Um, they're equally prepared to either talk you into or out of the immense investment involved in embracing this style of food service. Because it doesn't just involve money, but but also, and I'd say more significantly, it, it involves a commitment to sea change and the entire school community's attitude towards lunch. Um, we're going to start off with Paul Mackesy, who is principal and senior consultant at Food Service Management Solutions, which uh, is a company that offers a suite of consulting services for K through twelve food service clients. Um, Paul has been consulting to the food service trade. Um, for 26 years, um, and, and that consultancy has included um, many hundreds of school districts over the years. Um, after station break, we'll visit with Kelly Friend, who is with Whitson's Culinary Group, which, uh, which is a major provider of food service to schools throughout the Northeast and Mid-Atlantic. Whitson's has been quite successful with its food courts, so Kelly will have lots of takeaways for you. Um, so, Paul, it is so great to finally get you on the show. Welcome. Good morning, Laura. How are you? I'm good. Um, I think we just, for starters, we need to establish a little bit more about your company. Um, you, there's food management solutions, and, and then you separately consult under um, Macasey and Associates. Can you, can you tell me you know, what it is you do? Yeah, actually, in, in, in both of our, our companies, we provide, um, as you said, a suite of um, consulting services. As independent um, food service consultants, we, we directly contract with school districts or with um, people representing school districts, whether it be architects or, or construction managers. Uh, we're not involved at all in the sale of any food service equipment, so our view is purely independent and in the best interest of the, the school district. Um, we do food service facility design. We also do food service operational uh, consulting to support any of the, the the aspects of operating a cost-effective and a customer-based um, uh, uh, food service operation. Mm-hmm. Over half of our business is um, supporting K-12 uh, schools. So uh, that's where I started my, in the industry, and I have a very, very, very strong passion for this part of the market segment. I know. That's why you're here. <laughs> I, and I, when I look at your website, I see that you are mostly present in the Midwest, but, but you really are doing work all over the country. I see clients in California and Florida. So, And where are you today? You're always on the road, aren't you? Yeah, I, I'm actually um, in the, the center part of Wisconsin right now okay. heading, to a, heading to a meeting. So. Okay. Um, so I know that 
your work has come to include consulting districts about food courts and that you've been involved with many food court installations over the years. I mean, how many would you say that you've been involved with so far? Um, at the at the risk of somewhat dating myself with the number <laughs> that we've done, I'm sure it's over two dozen. Uh, it may be in the, the neighborhood of over three dozen, actually. And I will also tell you that those are those are kind of full-on food courts, and there's always been these kind of hybrids that might have brought some of the concepts of the marketing pieces mm-hmm. that you can do in a food court into something that might be a project that doesn't have as much space or as much budget to be able to fully embrace that concept. Yeah, and that's so. something I really do want to get into today. There's the food court, and then there's the, the kind of food court state of mind. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll talk about both. But let's, let's just look at the, the full-blown food court. You know, when, can you describe a typical example of a food court you've worked on? You know, you step in the room, and what do you see? Well, the big difference between um, going to a food court style of service versus kind of a more traditional straight line or cafeteria line service that is so traditional in, in the in the K-12, whether it be in elementary, middle, or high school, primarily all of the, the food courts that we've done um, are in the somewhere in the 9 to 12 uh, grade level. And in that, you, you walk in and, and you do not really have a defined method of circulation. It's very free-flowing, and, and oftentimes it, it can be some people talk about, talk about the marketplace um, style of, of a servery design, and that's really part of kind of what the food court is, and it's, it's based on a station concept. And so mm-hmm. each of the different menu offerings are centered within a, in a food station. So you're student would be able to go up and, and if it would end up being a pizza station or a comfort food station or a deli station or uh, maybe some, some ethnic food choices, all of, those, all of those items really kind of are standalone and you're able to circulate and pick up those menu items. And then you're also able to, to uh, as, you're, as you're finishing up the transaction, pick up maybe some additional items. Maybe it might end up being a beverage choice or... Mm-hmm some other accompaniment to that meal, and then you head to a, a cashier, and also that cashier is not coupled with any of these um, these service concepts. So for that student that's looking to really only maybe not fully participate in a full reimbursable meal, but they're looking to maybe just get a juice or a milk or something to mm-hmm. maybe accompany something that they might have brought from home, they're able to do that very quickly and not have to wait in line. It's one of the benefits of, of this circulation. Right. And, you know, I'm sorry. It just sounds like you're treating the students like grownups. They're, you know, making choices. They're making choices from different stations. And and I understand these stations are typically, you know, look like they would in a shopping mall or an airport food court. They're branded and they're nicely designed, right? Well, some of them can can be branded, absolutely. And what it does is it kind of brings a retail feel into school food. And Mm -hmm. part of that is just in in the makeup of how, again, you're circulating through the space, but it also allows you to put some additional decor at each one of these stations. And maybe the uh, whether it would need be a nationally branded concept, or maybe it's a, a district branded concept mm-hmm. uh, for for a, um, an ethnic uh, food station or a, a pizza station or comfort food. Um, it, it it really allows for you to kind of take yourself a little bit out of the traditional mold. Of, of school food and, and let there be a little bit of that retail feel. And then that that really allows you to close that gap because what we find is so many of the students 
are, are, are driven by their retail experience, and that's what they bring along with them to this, mm-hmm. um, to, the, to school food, and that's where their expectations are set. Yeah. So as we can close that gap, that's when we start to see some of the success. It, well, and what's so neat is that these stations are pushing reimbursable meals. So it looks jazzed up. It looks grown up. It has a sophisticated retail feel. But the meal for sale, I mean, you mentioned that a la carte's available, but it's reimbursable meals. Absolutely. Yeah. And what they do is that they're able to pick up those components through, through either menuing or other signage kind of, of things. that it'll, It educates the student, and, and after probably only two or three days, they're, they're very, very conscious of what it takes to, to make that reimbursable meal, but they're able to pick up the pizza and the salad or, or some other kind of um, maybe some entree and, and a hot vegetable and um, some other components, and then to qualify for that reimbursable meal with, along with the beverage and then go to the cashier. So this isn't, this isn't marketing an a la carte concept at all. It's mm-hmm. really marketing choices, and those choices can very, very easily support a reimbursement. I think it's important to um, emphasize that. So, um, you know, when you're working with a district that's thinking about this, what is their typical motivation for wanting to embrace this concept? Well, I can't tell you that there's really um, one motivation, but I'll I'll tell you some of the things that have have driven some people to make this, this, um, embracing this change and also investing um, in the capital needs that would support this. One of the pieces are that there might be a high school district that has gone from an open to a closed campus, and they, they know that they need to be able to offer um, some more capacity potentially in that uh, service concept, and they also need to increase some of the offerings. And one of the reasons that they do that is that they start looking at a better investment in, in just a bigger footprint mm-hmm. or options and then to speed up um, uh, speed service. Yeah, that's important, speeding up surface. Um, and, and what about participation? That's that's a huge pressure on districts, especially those that are lower than 50% free reduced. Does this tend to be a motivation for these districts? Absolutely. A well-implemented food court program, um, we've never had it not um, be successful in raising participation. Wow. When, when, you, when you make an investment like this, I think you have to put all of the resources both from the personnel standpoint and also from the facility standpoint, to be able to see some real benefit back to the students. And the best way to judge that success is how many people show up and how many people use it. Right. So right. An, in, an increase in participation is really the best mm-hmm. judge. But this is not for every district. So, you know, let, let describe the ideal candidate. You know, when are you most con- confident that your client will succeed at doing this? Well, I don't know that there's a magic uh, number of students in the building or any any kind of a size kind of um, threshold. I don't believe that there's anything in regard to um, economic or urban versus rural or mm-hmm. anything like that. I really believe it's having the ability to implement the, the program correctly. And so if, if you're going to go down this path, I think especially if you have a, a very traditional service concept, you have to be willing to to be ready to embrace the change that's going to come along with that. You're going to have to prepare foods somewhat differently. You're going to have to be able to, um, part of that food court concept really is bringing some of the preparation of that food out so that it's visible to the, to the students. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Second piece, I'm sorry, the so, second piece ahead. is really that, that you have to really look at the ability to um, 
kick up your merchandising and really make this retail um, concept feel like retail and not just uh, school food service version of retail. Right. So you, you basically need food service leadership that's kind of ambitious and committed to marketing and, and that constant innovation that makes for success in a regular retail environment. You, you also spoke to me about the importance of both, you know, administrative and school board support. Um, you know, you need, you need a principal who really gets what this can do for the school as a whole. Um, and, and another thing you said that I, I thought was funny was, you know, if the principal sees the cafeteria as a trough, don't do it. Can you, can you speak to that? Well, exactly. And I think that's really true, even outside of anything having to do with food courts. The, the support of the building administration for a food service program is tremendously important. Anything that can be done to support the, the good um, structure within, within the school building is where food service operates, I think, is really going to benefit any concept that are, is being presented. But secondly, when you go through this whole change piece, when you can have the principal and, and, and really all the, all the people within the building, whether it be from the administration to the teachers, uh, custodians, everybody that's being able to support this change, then you have a very good implementation. When they don't really understand the, the reasons for it, um, then then there, there's a real risk of a good implementation. Yeah, yeah. So in other words, if you don't have that support, you might want to wait. And, and when, when we get Kelly on in the second half, I'm going to ask her about ways, you know, sort of baby steps towards winning that support and demonstrating that this could be a successful model because at the outset, it's, it's not always there. Um, you, you told me that you have visited food courts that are less than 10 years old that aren't functioning well anymore. And, you know, and, and so what are the reasons, you know, that, that food court can go wrong? Well, some of it is, has to do with um, just the ability to really continue to change and to, to keep it fresh. Um, a, a good design in, in a food court would in, allow for there to be some changes of, of some of the equipment. And in doing that, you'd be able to refresh the concepts and you'd be able to kind of bring in um, new concepts or change them out so as things get stale that you can, you can maybe put them on the shelf for a little bit and then mm-hmm. come back with them. I think that, that one of the things that a food court does is it allows you to be flexible if it's, if it's designed, designed and implemented correctly. And that's one of the things I think that has to be paramount in the planning. Right. And, and you know, so there, maybe just give us a couple of examples of, of a kind of major equipment purchase that is, um, you know, kind of over-specified so that it can be flexible over time. You know, what, like, what, what are some of the things that people need or a district would need to buy to make a station work? One of the things that, that is uh, almost included in all of our food carts is some kind of a, a conveyor um, air impingement oven mm-hmm. that, that traditionally is used for pizza, but it can also be used for things like calzones and so, some other um, ethnic choices. It can be used for kind of a, a hot sub concept, and you can, you can merchandise those in very similar ways. So you could even have change that out during the week. Maybe Monday, Wednesday, and Friday you could have one menu set, and then Tuesday, Thursday you could have another menu mm-hmm. set using the exact same pieces of equipment. Um, another one is, is doing some um, uh, build-your-own concepts, whether it be build-your-own salad, build-your-own uh, deli station. Again, very, very similar equipment, but just changing out those menu concepts. Right. So someone, you know, a company like yours can kind of advise on what, what are the kind of items that give you that flexibility so that you can innovate over time. 
Uh, Paul, I'm assuming this is very expensive. Um, you know, so for let, let's just say I'll throw it out there for a food court that has something like I don't know nine stations. Is that a lot or? You know, like what's a typical size and what kind of investment are we talking about for a typical size? Well, I guess nine's a lot, equipment. right? <laughs> yes. I mean, okay. food service okay. equipment is very, very expensive, and that's yeah. why the planning has to be done very um, meticulously. And in doing that, uh, typically a food court's got at least five stations. Mm-hmm. Um, and in doing that, um, uh, it, it, we have them on, on larger campuses, schools that, that approach almost 3,000 students, so we will get up to eight, nine stations. Mm-hmm. But one of the things I want to caution everybody about, it's, it's great to get the food served, but you have to be able to also have a cash-sharing capability that's at at least 100% of, of the speed of service. Mm-hmm. Because while students do not like to wait um, when they're being served, they really don't like to wait when they're waiting to be cashiered. And then there's also that opportunity, unfortunately, that there can be some um, shrinkage in regard to, you know, the, the food that's maybe even consumed within the, the, yeah. the food court itself before they actually hit the point of sale. Right. So you want to be able to make sure that they can very quickly circulate to that point of sale and that they can get to the table. So upwards, is it, you know, more than a million dollars for something that's five stations approximately? And, you know, I, I, I imagine it varies depending on the model, but just to give a sense of, of what the what it might cost. Well, yes. I mean, and I think you can talk about that in two different categories. Mm-hmm. That kind of the first silo would be the actual food service equipment, and it's very easy to spend over five hundred thousand dollars on that equipment. Mm-hmm. Some of it, uh, we've done we've done servery um, renovations where the where the back of the house really hasn't been able hasn't had to be touched, and we've been able to just modernize or expand the servery area, and that helps to to keep the uh, equipment investment down to a more reasonable level. Mm-hmm. But um, it's very, very easy to spend a half million dollars on this. It's also then when you look at that half million dollars, you know that you probably have an equal amount in the infrastructure, whether it be ventilation or changes to plumbing and electrical, the whole interior upgrade. Mm-hmm. So you have a construction piece of floors and walls and ceilings. So yeah. it, is, it is a considerable investment. And that's right. why oftentimes we end up doing these new constructions. Yeah, um, but we have done we've done a number of them in a remodeled scenario as well. Right, right. So it, it does it does take a district that that has the funding available or can make it available. Um, but you know we we can take heart whenever the concept takes off because you know in in every setting where these food courts are successful, when the word gets out, I, it challenges tired ideas so many people have about school foods. So. Um, I'm excited, and and I understand that the demand is going up. You're hearing more and more questions about it, and more requests for these kind of designs, right? Well, I think that's true, and and one of the things is is because um, traditionally, I think people within schools are a little bit more conservative than maybe some of the other markets, mm-hmm. and they like to be able to reference some other successes. They pioneering some of these concepts is is not for the faint of heart, and for that reason, um, you need to. You need to recognize that, and you need to have that person that's willing to to kind of be a little bit of a pioneer. But they can be a pioneer knowing that there's been many people that have had successes, and they can mm-hmm. talk to those people, and they can do lessons learned, and they can have um, 
they can get some mentoring going on. That's yeah, one of the things. Yeah. That's one of the great things about school food services. People share very, very well. I know we say that all the time on the show, and that's why I love it. Um, Paul, this has been really interesting, um, and thank you so much for joining us today to talk about it. Um, I- I've put links to both food service management solutions and um, your other company, Macasey and, and Associates, on today's show page on InsideSchoolFood.com for listeners who want to learn more about your work. And, and just for fun, I also posted um, a link to a really nice news article about a high school food court in Lantana, Florida. It's it's not one that you worked on, but what I like is that it really illustrates what we've been talking about. This district um, was, you know, relatively low freed reduced, but the, as you said, they've seen participation uh, go up since they installed their food courts. So take a look at that. Um, we've been speaking with Paul Macasey, who is a veteran consultant to the food service industry about one of the hottest trends in school food, the high school food court. More on this topic after station break with, with learnings from the stylish food courts run by Whitson's Culinary Group. program has been brought to you by Route 11 Potato Chips. From the moment Route 11 Potato Chips dropped their first batch of chips back in the early days of 1992, they understood their destiny as a high-quality producer. Instead of succumbing to the frenzy of mass production, they took advantage of their small size and made chipping a personal art form. The payoff was immediate. An incredible potato chip. With a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. In this world of uncertainty that we live in, Route 11 Potato Chips believes comfort food should be just that. Know where your food comes from. For more information, visit rt11.com. Welcome back. On the line with us now is Kelly Friend of Whitson's Culinary Group, where she serves as Chief Operating Officer of Contact Management. Um, Kelly has led the creation of a vibrant signature style for school dining that promotes healthy eating. Um, The tagline for their campaign is, what's your fooditude? I love that. (laughs) Um, In Whitson's Food Courts, good design is making a pretty big splash, as you're about to hear. Uh, But Kelly is also going to tell you how you can work that same marketing magic into smaller and sometimes even much smaller and more modest settings. Hi there, Kelly. Hi, Laura. How are you? Very good. Um, why don't we just, you know, for folks who are not on the East Coast, I think they might need to know a little bit about Whitson's. Tell us about your company. Sure. Uh, Whitson's has been in business for over 30 years now, and we manage about $175 million in sales. That's between contract management, meaning K-12, our prepared meals division, where we deliver meals to homes and direct sites for uh, prisons and hospitals and for places that can't prepare meals on site, as well as uh, corporate dining. Mm-hmm. But K-12 is really our big market right now, and we serve about 400,000 meals a day. <laughs> well, and I was actually surprised to learn that you are the fourth largest food service management company serving K-12. through Is that right? 
We are the best kept secret. On the you are. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, as I said, I think people who are not on the East Coast are going to be like, "Really? Okay." <laughs> yes, we're we're still privately held. We're we're a, we were a mid-sized firm for a long time, and we are really approaching that um, you know mega market status right, in the last right. few years. Okay, so you have a lot of resources which we're going to talk about. But I also just love talking to you about this stuff because you have so much wisdom for smaller uh, districts and self-ops. So we'll 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 talk. About about both. But let's start out with, with um, just looking at your food carts. Uh, how many food courts, or, or however you want to quantify it, what percentage of your high schools have them right now? Right now, more than 40% of our high schools have true food courts where they're broken out concept stations that self-stand on their own, with the remaining being modified versions of uh, food court environments. Okay. Um, and when did you start doing food courts? We started about 15 years ago and the, and really began in our corporate dining division mm-hmm. where the need to have variety, of course, was uh, very high because customers had a chance of eating on the outside. The retail competition was so fierce. And then we soon quickly realized, gee, you know what? A lot of the new uh, millennials that were coming into our businesses had just graduated high school or mm-hmm. college, and they were used to this environment. Why not bring it right down to the high school and middle school level? Once again, as I said in the first half, treating them like grown-ups. It's good business. That's right. Um, yes. So um, we asked Paul to kind of walk us through a food court. Can you walk us through a Whitson's food court? What, you know, what sure. do you see? Yeah. So our traditional food court environments start with a minimum of four four food court environments, and uh, the average has about seven to eight. So on a, on a typical four or five food court environment um, operation, we would always have the most popular, what we call our core environment um, concepts, our fooditude, and that is our La Cucina Italian Eatery, mm-hmm. which is a gourmet pizza. It's a calzone, a stuffed bread, and even can include a hot entree that's Italian style, like a Parmesan chicken or meatball heroes. And each concept in the La Cucina environment would include maybe four or five different varieties of a pizza, maybe four or five different varieties of a calzone. So it's not just about the actual court itself. It's about the opportunity inside that court to mm-hmm. expand on your menu variety. Mm-hmm. And what are some of the other brands? Because like, you've got some really fun names yeah, for some so, of these. So yeah. Great, Great American Deli is another very popular, especially on this coast where New York delis are you know, among the most populated retail environments um, that are offered. Mm-hmm. So Great American Deli would have a variety of 10 or 12 different cold cuts and cheeses. Uh, that would include some purchased items, you know, like a turkey or a ham. It would also include some homemade items where we flavor the turkeys and the chickens with sriracha and Cajun spices and honey mustard so that we can really expand on the opportunity to serve many, many different varieties but keeping the inventory at a, at a manageable level mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. with just ingredient bases. Right, right. And that we have... 10 or 12 different toppings and spreads. Again, many of the spreads are made using just core ingredients, using the, the mustards, using the mayos, using the ketchups, and then, again, flavoring them with really, you know, exotic peppers or dried spices or, or, or other, um, you know, really interesting flavored dressings. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you've got a coyote grill. I know that uh, we've spoken about Yeah, coyote the, grill, again, you yeah. know, one of, one, of the most, one of the most popular stations we have is a coyote grill, which is a Tex-Mex style. Oh, of course of, that's popular. Uh, yeah, and it doesn't matter what the demographic are is. It doesn't matter the geography. Yeah. Um, kids love 
tacos. They love burritos. They love to be able to create their own. And I think that's really what started the, the, the popular experimenting in Coyote Grill, and it's just expanded, is kids really are in control. You know, give me a little bit of that. I'll have some fajita chicken. Oh, and you know what? I want two kinds of cheeses. I'll have a pepper jack and a, and a shredded cheddar. Right. So they're oh, and getting me nature order cream. for them. Yeah, yeah. They're in control, and, and I think that always makes a difference yes. when you're trying to to please students. Yes, yes. And I, I just want to emphasize again that what we're talking about is reimbursable meals. Everything we serve is a reimbursable meal, mm-hmm. and that's always the goal. So not only do all of these meals have to fulfill the hunger, Healthy Hunger-Free Kids Act criteria, but it, you know all the, all the other components of the National School Lunch Program have mm-hmm. to be met. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I've seen on your website, I've seen that you do dumplings, you do ramen. I mean, you, you get very creative with these different uh, stations. Uh, we have stations that go everywhere. We have over 30 different concept stations oh, right wow. now. Okay. From everything from a Shanghai noodle bar, which is all different kinds of ramen and then delicious proteins that go on with this, to Shaky Joe's, which is our smoothie concept, which we can run for breakfast lunch, and as an a la carte standalone as well. Yeah, yeah. The meal programs, right down to um, the Elbow Room, which is our macaroni and cheese concept. Oh, that's an adorable which, name. <laughs> it's, it's just a great, fun concept. It's, it's macaroni and cheese. I mean, it doesn't get more simple or more classic, but yeah. we have over 30 different toppings you can, yeah. you can add to your macaroni and cheese. Yeah, so, so note the names. Anyone can come up with, with jazzy names. Um, that You don't have to be Whitsons to, to do that, and it really matters. I mean, that's basic Smarter Lunchrooms movement um, thinking to, to jazz that's things up. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So, you know, you've got these catchy names at every station um, looking really good and themed packaging. And, you know, you, you make it look easy because that's how the setting is relaxed. But, of course, this is far from easy. Um, but, you know, pick, pick one of your stations and take us behind the scenes about, you know, what, what makes it tick. You know, the, the training and the, all the, everything that you need to do to make it work. Sure. I'll, I'll go with uh, the most complicated, which is going to seem to everybody else to be the most simple, which is the Great American Deli. Mm-hmm. And the reason that's so complex is because not only because the variety is so great, we try to make that concept really be one of our front runners because it's our biggest competition should a student chose to go outside in a, in a uh, campus environment where that's acceptable. Mm-hmm. But because of the National School Lunch Program guidelines and because of the way proteins that have to be offered every day, the meat, meat alternatives have to be offered and credited, um, every single meat that we serve comes from different suppliers for different reasons. You know, mm-hmm. we go to a specific supplier for turkey because they have the best turkey when you roast it off, and that's when turkey tastes great, not just opening up a package of, of a deli turkey, but actually seasoning it and roasting it off, taking, you know, taking the water out of that. Everything credits differently, and that's very, very complex. So every training module has to include all the different variations. So if a, if a student is getting that with cheese or without cheese, are they getting this brand of turkey or that brand of turkey? Everything credits different, so, so, so it becomes a very um, complex style of service preparation and training as well to ensure that every student is getting the correct amount with every portion that's served. And I understand. I mean, so, yeah, it's complicated. And I'm, I'm kind yeah. of, I kind of am surprised you brought up the deli, but what you say makes a lot of sense because um, there's also sodium in processed meats, and that has to be part of the... Um, 
hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. So you use videos as well as um, printed materials to train staff, right? We do, we do. Mm-hmm. So every concept starts out obviously after the conceptual. It starts out by building with our chefs and our marketing department. We build what's called a concept book. So every single concept has a traditional book, a binder, so it's in print. We know that people learn differently. Some people like visuals. Some people like reading. Some people like a combination. Then once the, the set is done and our, we have staged everything, we do a complete video that shows the station in operation from mm-hmm. the back to the front. Yeah, yeah. And there has to be some cross-training so that you can move somebody from pizza to deli to ramen should you have people not coming in on a given day, that kind of thing. So I, I think that's the most commitment. important part, part of that yeah. is, is training people on the equipment and then having them cross-train in different stations because... Every station that we have is not a permanent installation. We have stations that we've brought in. Uh, For example, we have one called Fiesta Fresco. Very interesting. It was sort of a a Spanish-Latin concept, and we introduced that in an environment where we thought that would be a huge hit. And it lasted about a year and then just started to phase out. And mm-hmm. it didn't really make sense to continue giving up real estate for that particular concept anymore. So now I have four people that have worked there a year, fully trained on that equipment and that concept. But now I'm dissipating you. You're going to now work in La Cucina. You're going to yeah. work in Great American. So I didn't want them going in cold in situations like that. Mm-hmm. And again, yes, you have absenteeism. You have people retire. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's a big commitment. So I feel like some people listening today might be feeling pretty overwhelmed by all of this, um, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. So yeah. let's it just say, yeah, yeah. So say you're a self-op that's just way too small for this kind of model, or maybe you are big enough, but you've just heard what Paul has to say, and you're worried your administration and school board will never share your vision or, or you know, not without you leading them a lot. So, like, what can you do to start generating the kind of food court type buzz that we're talking about? So I, I think anybody can have a food court environment, even if you don't have all the, the, the wish list equipment that you'd love to have and lead into that. What I suggest is taking a section on your serving line, something that has equipment that can be used a little versatile or at least that you can put maybe a, a hot plate on top of something so that you can change the look and feel of it. And start with something simple like pizza. Mm-hmm. Start and then focus on the freshest ingredients, the best recipe you can come up with to make a nice fresh dough, all different toppings, and, dis- and, and, and really focus on the display. And, and I think, that, I mean, that's where we started, honestly. And, and the best resources that are out there are free. Mm-hmm. Go shopping. My, my two favorite things, go shopping and watch TV. Right now, <laughs> we have a wealth of information on TV. Any one of those guest chefs and celebrity chefs are going to show you what's hot right now. They're not making stuff that's old. They're not making stuff that's, that's not going to be interesting or trendy. Right, It's right. what's hot. Pull from that. Grab from that and, and focus on, on building a brand around something new or interesting. And shop because the retail stores that exist right now all across this country, even in the smallest towns and the smallest suburbs, can have a gourmet flair with a presentation style that you can take away from. You know, almost always. Right. I mean, it, that, yeah. And you, tra- you travel, go to a city, go to a town, find a gourmet store, look them up online, go in, take pictures, talk talk to the owner. Yeah, yeah. And just and just try to do it. And, and you had some just really neat low overhead ideas. Um, say, for instance, you've got, you know, a number of so-called branded concepts, but your your kids are coming through a standard line. You talked to me about just 
changing the design of the servingware for each so-called yeah. brand, which is like, oh, that was like an aha moment for me. You're not spending more money. You're just making design decisions for each kind of semi-station on the line, that, right? That's right. Yeah. And it doesn't, it doesn't cost any more money. It's like Ford has 12 different models. They all look totally different, mm-hmm. right? But it's the same banner. So the same thing here. If you're going to make a Coyote Grill, for example, get vessels that look completely different from the vessels that you're using for the La Cucina. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. for La Cucina, you might have, you know, stainless steel, classic, full raft type pans. And for the Coyote Grill, you want to get, you know, vibrant colors and give it an identity and make it, make it so that the students immediately identify with this is different. Right. Is, um, I know orange is Coyote Grill. Yeah. Orange and red and, and yellow, you know, that's all Coyote Grill. Well, and then and then you talk to me about actually getting different color uniforms for your server. So you have an uh, orange yep. shirt for the Coyote Grill server. Yep. Right? Again, it, another very inexpensive way. You know, mm-hmm. I don't think that a blue shirt costs any more than a red shirt or an orange shirt. Exactly. So, you know, talk to your supplier and say, you know, uh, you know, this is a color I'm identifying with this. This is a color. And, and pick colors that you can match to your service wear, to your your Crocs, to your, um, you know, dishes that sit yeah. inside your steam yeah. wells. Yeah, yeah. So no, no extra money, just some creativity. And then and then that's the lowest cost, you know, the lowest overhead innovation you mentioned to me. I just love this. So to say you're a small district, no extra money to spend, and you want to do waffle bars, and you've got one waffle iron. You <laughs> said do, you know, share it among sites and do waffle bar day um, in a different school every day. That's right. You can move the I, waffle bars, panini grills. Two yeah. of my favorite things because yeah. they're they're portable, but they have such an impact, and the opportunity for variety is unbelievable. Waffle bar can be a breakfast. It can be a lunch. Mm-hmm. You know, it could have it could have granola in it. It can have raisins in it. It could have toppings. And again, you do it one day at the high school, the next day at the middle school. Even bring it down to the elementaries and and build a little food court feel right around it. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, set the entire station up with yeah, your with your yeah. toppings and, and 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 give your waffle bar a name. You know, Wally's waffle. <laughs> give it a name. Give it an identity so that you know so that somebody can associate with it. It's it's great, Kelly. I mean, as I said earlier, is the food court state of mind, which is achievable to some degree anywhere. So anywhere, I want that to be a takeaway for everyone who's listening today. Um, so folks, you can hear, uh, you can actually, I'm sorry, see a great deal of what you've been hearing Kelly talk about on YouTube. Um, Whitson's has posted a video called Fooditude for March. Um, and there's lots of handsome, creative point of sale promotions there that you could easily emulate. So um, there's a link to that on today's show page on InsideSchoolFood.com. Um, Kelly Friend, it's been great chatting with you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Inside School Food is a production of the Heritage Radio Network and can also be found on heritageradionetwork.org and iTunes and Stitcher, where you can subscribe and never miss an episode. And remember, for near daily school food news that you can use, follow us on Facebook or Twitter. Um, In the engineering booth today, Heritage Radio executive producer Jack Inslee and studio intern uh, Malcolm Fisher. Um, I'm Laura Stanley, and I look forward to welcoming you back with a new episode in two weeks. May 18th, we're going to be talking about breakfast. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. 
You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.